Welcome back to another episode of the Basketball Rules Expert Podcast, the show where we take National Federation of High School rules, we lift them right off the printed page, breathe life into them, simplify, clarify, amplify, and then give them back to you in an audio format so that you can be more prepared the next time you enter the court. Greetings again, everybody. My name is Greg Austin. I've been a high school basketball official in the San Francisco Bay Area for over a decade, and I consider myself to be a basketball rules expert. This show, sole purpose, to help you on your journey to becoming a basketball rules expert as well. Shout out today to show supporters, Alex Binder, Jonathan Lamatina, Chet Cooper, and super supporter, Daniel Huffman. Much appreciated and much love. If you want to support the show, there's a link in the show notes below. Today, we have another mailbag episode answering viewer questions, questions submitted to the website. Let's get started. Thomas via YouTube. What happens if a player bloodies his jersey, finds a replacement jersey, and therefore a new number? Is that an administrative technical? Right? We have to change the player's number in the book. But NFHS says, look, we have really strict rules about blood. So we, we're going to, you know, we have some flexibility here. If a player has blood on the uniform, that player cannot enter the game. But there's remedies. They can have that jersey cleaned to a satisfactory level so there's no blood. Or a replacement jersey can be found. Either a replacement jersey that the team has or a jersey from a team member who's not participating, right? Johnny at the end of the bench, number 32. I, he's my size jersey. We're going to take Johnny's jersey, right? And the player's going to take that, correct their situation. Obviously, they have to do that in the visual, outside the visual confines. Obviously, they have to leave the bench area during the game in order to accomplish that, right? They remedy it. They come back. All that's necessary is that information is provided. Head coach says, my player with a bloody jersey, number five, is now going to be number 32. We make that change in the book. We inform the other head coach so that he's not surprised, there's no confusion, etc. Legal by rule and supported by rule. NFHS says all efforts should be made to allow a player who had blood on their jersey, to find a remedy and continue playing. Great question from Thomas Lyons. Let's move on to our next question. Our next question, again from Shane Jones via YouTube. Shane asks, Can a defensive player be called for goaltending or basket interference after time has expired? Excellent question and forces us to have a solid understanding of when the ball becomes dead. If the ball is live after time has expired, they could defensive player can certainly commit a goaltending or basket interference violation. But if the ball is dead, they cannot. What's the di- what's going to cause the difference for a, a horn sounding and the ball still being live or still or being dead is going to be whether it is a try. A try in flight remains live after the horn expires. So if we had a try for goal, 
then a defensive uh, basket interference or goaltending violation could occur. If it was a pass and not a try, then the ball has become dead. So if we had our previous play where there's a pass and a player contacts the ball within the imaginary cylinder, if the pass was released, the horn sounded, and then uh, the player contacted the ball in the imaginary cylinder, the ball it would not be a violation because the ball would be dead by rule. So understanding what causes the ball to become dead, critical to understanding this question, but a great question nonetheless. Moving on to our next question. Dan Smyers asks, I have a question relative to the team technical for 10.2.1A delay in starting the game or second half by one minute. In 2.4.4, the referee has the responsibility for notification of each team three minutes prior to the restart of the half. If the team wasn't notified as required, how can we assess a technical foul? Good question. Makes sense. I, it's very understandable. How can we assess if we failed to do something that was prescribed? So first of all, let's, let's just address the question. Each, the, the referee is responsible to have someone from game administration notify both teams three minutes prior to the start of the second half. That is defined in the referee's responsibilities and duties. But at the end of the day, teams bear the ultimate responsibility for their actions. If a team failed to return in time for the half, the officials are instructed to put one minute up on the clock. If they delay the start of the half by more than that one minute, they are liable for a team technical foul for delay by rule. NFHS throughout our procedures tries to prevent these situations. That's why the, the notification of each team is in place. But in NFHS rules, the team always bears the responsibility. By rule, officials are supposed to notify the head coach when they've used their final timeout. That is something that's built in. But if the official fails to notify them and the team uses an excessive timeout, whose, whose fault is that? It's the fault of the team. They bear the ultimate responsibility. NFHS tries to build in safeguards to help prevent that, but at, in the end, the team is responsible. Late in the game, the team comes out of the huddle, ball's put in play. There's six players on the court. Team tactical. How did the officials allow that to happen? They did. They did, right? They have uh, procedures in place to try to prevent that, to keep that from happening, but if it happens, the team bears the responsibility. That's a fundamental concept that's helpful in understanding National Federation of High School Basketball rules. (laughs) 
Hey, if we could stop here just for a second, if you find value in the content, hit that like button below. Super helpful when it comes to the YouTube algorithm. Helps our show get in front of more basketball officials so that we can all get better together. Thanks so much. Laker fan is back. A player attempts to substitute into the game and is not wearing the proper color undershirt or package item. Would you instruct them to go back to the bench? Right? We talked in a previous episode about player equipment being a package, all the same color with certain color requirements, headband, wristband, arm sleeve, elbow pad, tights, knee pad, leg sleeve, shin sleeve, all those things being part of a package and subject to, to, to rules. So if a player, you know, the shooting shirt comes off, uh-oh, wrong color undershirt, attempting to enter the game. Correct procedure is the player is just not allowed to enter the game because they are illegally equipped. They can remedy their equipment situation, and then we'd welcome them back into the ball game. But as they are currently equipped, no. Now, you could say, all right, so in this instance, undershirt, now we're going to have to go through some hoops because that player is going to have to leave the visual confines in order to change their jersey and remove the undershirt and get correct. Okay, so we may have to have a discussion with the coach, right? We don't want to just say, no, can't come in, undershirt's wrong, and then keep going. And now the the player's over on the bench removing their jersey and we're faced with whether or not to assess a tactical foul for that behavior. Okay, so that's an undershirt. Now, some, some, some part of the package or jewelry, players wearing jewelry, right? They are not allowed to participate by rule. So that's the answer. Players not allowed to participate, they can substitute in the next time. That's the, that is the ruling. Now, for practical purposes, players wearing one of those rubber wristbands, hey, can you get rid of that? They just get it, they toss it, and they're in the game, right? Got to take that earring out. They do it real quick, toss to the head coach, they're ready to go. Many, many officials will allow that player to substitute in. But the ruling in this instance is, yes, you are going to tell the player they are not allowed and they can substitute in at the next substitute opportunity. Nafour writes, how many indirect technical fouls can the head coach accumulate? Well, the head coach rule is any combination of three direct technicals and indirect technicals. If they reach three, they're disqualified. Also, if they receive two direct technical fouls, they are ejected by rule. So in theory, a coach could receive two indirect technical fouls. Assistant coach gets a technical foul. Coach gets an indirect tactical foul. Later, a player, uh, a, a team member, let's say a player coming off the court at the end of a period, um, makes an unsporting remark to the official. They receive a technical foul. That's a bench technical, and the coach would receive, and the coach would receive their second indirect technical foul. If they received a third. They would be ejected. 
If they received a direct after receiving two indirects, they would be ejected. Or any point during the game, regardless of indirects, they received two direct technical fouls or one flagrant technical foul, they would be ejected by rule. LSTSXX on YouTube asks, on a question in the video, the answer was a bench technical for a player and an indirect for the coach. Will four free throws be shot or only two? Right? We have a bench technical on a player. That's an indirect on the coach. This brings up the fact that indirect technical fouls are not technical fouls. They are simply a bookkeeping mechanism to keep track of whether or not the head coach has controlled bench personnel during the game in a satisfactory fashion. If they have not and accumulate indirect technical fouls, they are subject to being ejected for any combination of direct and indirect totaling three. So, but in this instance, we're only going to shoot two technical foul free throws because there's only one technical foul. Super important to just know that 100%. Indirect technical fouls are not technical fouls. Right on. Shane Jones on YouTube writes, Regarding the three-tenths of a second rule, would a two-handed volleyball set be a legal tap? Right, so we're referring to the rule that says in National Federation of High School Rules, a player, and we have an inbounds play with three tenths of a second or less, three tenths, two tenths, or one tenth. A player may not catch the ball and release a try by rule. So the question here is would a two handed volleyball set be a legal tap? Well, let's address two hands, is definitely can be a legal tap. But the traditional volleyball set where the player recesses their hands and bends their wrist backwards, if they execute it properly and tap it, as opposed to catch it for an instant, then it would be a legal play. But if the officials deem that they have caught the basketball, then time has expired by rule. Great question, Shane. Let's move on to our next question. Thomas Lyons asks, During a timeout in the second period, the Team B coach requests the scorer change a team member's number in the scorebook. Team B has already received an administrative technical for failure to submit their roster prior to the 10 minutes before the start of the game. The answer to the question was administrative technical. Question is, at this point, my read of the rules is that the coach has been assessed with zero technical fouls towards their personal count. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. Understand, remember, though, that there's only one category of technical fouls that leads to an indirect on the head coach, and that is a bench technical foul because the coach has the responsibility for the behavior of bench personnel. They do not have the responsibility of players on the court. In theory, they don't have it on a substitute who's away from the bench area and has been given a a special separation there. 
The behavior of bench personnel is the question. Behavior leads to a technical foul on bench personnel. That's an indirect on the head coach. Administrative, substitute, team, and player technicals do not have any bearing on the head coach. No indirect technical fouls are given. So your read of the rule is correct. They have zero towards their personal count. Focused Energy on YouTube asks, are the penalties for all tactical fouls the same? Yes. Yes, they are. That's one of the beauties of NFHS rules is the simplicity of tactical fouls. All tactical fouls carry the same penalty, two free throws and the ball at the division line opposite the table. Important, though, to remember that an indirect technical foul on a head coach is not a technical foul. That's a bookkeeping mechanism that recognizes that bench personnel who are the responsibility of the head coach have had some bad behavior and earned some technical fouls, and that can potentially affect the status of the head coach. So all technical fouls, the exact same penalty, indirect technical fouls, are not technical fouls. Focused Energy on YouTube asks, if there's an administrative technical foul during the game, do you stop playing and give the other team free throws and then resume from the division line? Does it make the offending team lose possession if they have it? Absolutely. Absolutely 100%. In high school rules, the resulting throw-in after a technical foul will always be to the offended team at the division line opposite the table. So if uh, Team A is dribbling the ball and it's discovered that Team A has a player who's not in the book, an administrative technical foul for making a change to the book is required, then Team B would get two free throws and the ball for a division line throw-in. So in effect, Team A would have lost possession. Absolutely. That's the way all technical fouls work in National Federation of High School Basketball Rules. Thanks for joining us today on the Basketball Rules Expert Podcast. If you have a moment, leave a review of the podcast, say nice things about us, and share the podcast with other officials. Thanks again today to show supporters Alex Binder, Jonathan LaMatina, Chet Cooper, and Daniel Huffman, super supporter. Daniel Huffman. Much appreciated and much love. You can always buy us a coffee at abetterofficial.com slash coffee. Have a great one. We'll see you in the very next episode. Take care.